Our lesson comes from Joshua chapter 5, beginning at the 13th verse. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua came to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua bowed down to the earth and worshiped him. And he said, what does my Lord say to his servants? And the commander of the army of the Lord said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And he did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside. None came in, none went out because of Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. You shall march around the city, the men of war going around once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven ram's horns of trumpets before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear it, then shall the people shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to worship in the face of walls. I want to worship in the face of walls. We have many walls in our lives that pop up. Obstacles, barriers, disappointments. The hockey playoffs just ended. My team never wins, ever. My team never wins. And, and I gotta say that I think this is a bit of a confession because my team never wins and because now I've made the Dallas Stars my team and because as the Lord allows, our intention is to be here at least another 30 years. That means the Stanley Cup will come back to Dallas around 2048. <laughs> Disappointments. But we have real walls that come at us, don't we? Not just little disappointments. We have major walls that rise up. Major obstacles, major barriers in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones. Here's what the Lord says to Joshua as he's at Jericho before this wall, this massive obstacle. They're, they're coming into the promised land. They're, they're coming into their inheritance and they bump into this massive obstacle, this massive wall, this massive disappointment. The Lord says to Joshua, I want you to hold a worship service. I want you to have a worship festival. See, in Chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, this is what the Lord says to Joshua before this wall. He says, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. 
Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. The Lord's instructions to Joshua in front of this wall is, let's have a worship service. I mean, do you see it? There's a procession. There's the ark being carried by the priests. There's trumpets, which means we've got worship music. And it goes on for seven days, just like a regular Jewish festival. In other words, what God is saying before Jericho, in front of this wall, this obstacle, let's have a worship festival. Let's have a worship service in this moment. And what I find amazing is Joshua does it. Israel and Joshua follow suit. There's nothing in the text that talks about them resisting, about them fearing, about them wondering what's the Lord up to. They're not in their tents strategizing what possibly, what could the possible outcome of this be? No, they simply respond to what God's called them to. They go out and have a seven-day worship festival in front of this wall. How does Joshua do it? How does Israel do this? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with Joshua having his eyes opened. Joshua has his eyes in the right place. You see, normally when we face down walls, when I face down walls, the wall gets all my attention. Right? I look at the wall, I look at the height, I look at the breadth, I figure out, you know, can I get over it, what can I do? The wall, the problem, the obstacle, the barrier gets all my focus. But the first word of the text we just read, chapter 5, verse 13. It says that when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold. Now, what the author is saying there, really in one verse is the word look three times. It's emphasizing looking, seeing. He lifted up his eyes and he looked, just so we're clear, and then behold, which is another word for look. Look, look, look. Where are you looking? Where are your eyes? Well, Joshua's eyes are in the right spot because Joshua has got his eyes fixed. Instead of on the wall, he has them fixed on the Lord. He's able to worship before this wall. See, Joshua sees three things in these short verses. He first sees the Lord's presence. As he lifts up his eyes, he is beholding the Lord with him. But not only does he see the Lord's presence with him, he also sees the Lord's provision, the Lord's gracious gift, giving, providing. But not only does he see the Lord's presence and the Lord's provision, but Joshua sees the Lord's power. His power brought to bear in that moment. And, and through all of the, what he sees, Joshua is able to worship in front of that wall. I want to be able to worship better before walls. You see, first what Joshua sees is he sees the Lord's presence. Look, the Lord's presence. See, I'm going to argue that this story is what we would call a theophany. 
A theophany is a moment when a person, a human being, meets God face to face. A moment when they interact with God face to face. They see God. And they're rare moments in scripture. But this is one of them. I mean, look at verse 13 of chapter 5. It says that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And he, and he says, okay, are you for us or for our enemies? And what does the man say? He says, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And you may think, okay, that, that's like an angel, I guess, you know, who leads the Lord's army. And yet what's interesting is when you read the rest of Scripture, pretty much every time that the Lord's army is referenced and the one who's leading that army, it's the Lord himself who commands his army. The Lord is the one who goes into battle with his army. The Lord in Scripture is the commander of the army of the Lord. And in fact, there's even a name that the Lord gives himself, the name Yahweh Sabaoth, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of the angel armies, or the God of hosts, as we used to say. In other words, there's an actual name of God which describes that part of his character is that he is the commander of the Lord's army. But not only that, you see in verse 14, we're told that Joshua gets on the ground, bows down and worships, worships this commander of the army of the Lord. And, and nowhere in the text does it say that the commander of the army of the Lord rebukes him and says, don't do that. I mean, there's other places in Scripture where people get overcome with an angel and they, they bow down, like in Revelation. John sees one of these angels and bows down and the angel effectively gives him a kick and says, get up. You don't do that. You don't worship a creature. I'm a creature. You worship God. But there's no rebuke here. Joshua's worshiping and he's not rebuked. But see, it's not just that. It's not just that the commander of the army of the Lord sounds like, the, in fact, the name of God. Not only is Joshua worshiping him without rebuke, but in verse 15, the commander of the army of the Lord says, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. Which sounds just like Joshua's predecessor, Moses, when he had a theophany, when he met the Lord face to face at the burning bush, and what did the Lord say in that moment? He said, take off your sandals for the place where you were standing is holy. And not only that, not only does the name, the commander of the army of the Lord sound like Yahweh, not only is he worshiping him and not being rebuked, not only is he told to take his sandals off, but then in chapter six, verse two, it says, the Lord said. You see, what gets confusing there is there's this artificial chapter break. You, you know that in your Bibles, the chapters and verse numbers, those aren't inspired by the Holy Spirit. Those were put in there about a thousand years after Jesus. So we all knew where we're reading. But sometimes you get these weird artificial breaks where it makes it sound like, you know, the one scene ends and scene, and then the next scene, chapter six, the Lord speaks. no. There is Joshua on his hands and knees worshiping this commander of the army of the Lord. And the next thing we see in verse 2 is the Lord Yahweh said. Joshua is meeting God. Joshua is encountering the Lord in this moment. He's in the presence of God himself. 
And we shouldn't be that surprised. Back in chapter one, when Joshua took command of Israel, the promise the Lord spoke over him in verse nine was, have not I commanded you be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, with you, with you. See, Joshua is opening up his eyes and looking, not at this wall, but he's actually looking at the presence of God himself before him. And we should not be surprised. Didn't Jesus promise his disciples just before his ascension into heaven in Matthew 28? And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. With you, the presence of God. It's exciting to see what the Lord is doing here at Christ Church uh, in so many of our ministries, but just to narrow in on one, on student ministry. Uh, we continue to build and grow this ministry, and, and last summer was a perfect example of this. We had our students off at camp. They were at, in Galveston at a summer beach camp. You know, tough life. And, um, you know, they were, they, were, they, were, they were worshiping, but that evening I got this FaceTime message, which did a little video message where I could watch these, these kids who had spontaneously, with no instruction, begun to pull out worship instruments, play worship music, and praise, and pray together. And the text of the message, the, the text that was sent to me with that amazing picture of our young people worshiping the Lord, were the words from Genesis chapter 28, when Jacob meets the Lord, another theophany moment. When we read in Genesis chapter 28, Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. See, what Joshua is seeing is this presence of the Lord before him. And that gets his attention. He sees God and says, I'm not going to look at this wall. I'm going to look at the presence of the Lord and so he can worship. But see, it's not just that he sees the Lord's presence, but he sees the Lord's provision. He sees the Lord providing. See, in chapter 6, verse 2, we read these words. The Lord says to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Given. It's the language of gift. It's the language of provision. I have provided Jericho for you. This wall may seem like it's in the way, but I'm providing for you. I have given Jericho into your hand. Joshua is learning in his role as a leader over Israel that at the core of who God is, he is the one who provides, the one who gives what we need, not always when we want it, but when we need it and what we need the Lord as his provider. And again, back to the beginning, Joshua 1, when he took over command, those were the words that were spoken over him. Verse 3 of chapter 1, every place, the Lord says, that the sole, Joshua, of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you, given to you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. You see, another word for provision 
Another word for this idea of being given something from God is the word grace. That Joshua's not going to earn this. Joshua's not going to make this happen. Joshua's going to receive the Lord's provision. And he's learning that as a leader. That this is the one who provides for us. In this wall, you could argue, this wall gives Joshua the opportunity to grow in trust of that provision. Do you hear me? This wall gives Joshua the opportunity to grow in trust of the Lord's provision. The wall is an opportunity to grow in trust. I need to hear this. You see, when I'm facing down a wall, an obstacle, a barrier, you know, I get really busy and frantic and pretty bullheaded. I am going to figure this out. I'm going to administrate and lead us around and over this wall. I'm looking at the length. I'm looking at the height. I'm going to figure out how to get over this wall. And I get busy and I get frantic. And, and what ends up happening most of the time is, is two results. And they're both disastrous. Okay? When I'm trying to take the wall into my own hands, not waiting on the Lord's provision, the result is always disastrous. Here's disastrous result number one. I get over the wall. All on my own, I think. And then what happens? I say, look at me. I got over another wall. I'm doing so well. Disastrous. The second thing that happens is I don't get over the wall and I hit the wall again and again and I fail and then what do I say? I say, I am worthless. I am broken, I am nothing. In both of these results of me trying to take walls into my own hands, this is a disastrous end for me. Instead, I need to learn to see walls as an opportunity, as hard as they are, to rely on his grace to rely on his provision. That's what Joshua is learning. I love how St. Paul, you know, describes his own experiences before walls, burdens, barriers, disappointments. In 2 Corinthians 12, uh, he, he says in verse seven, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, walls. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, we need to learn to acknowledge our need for God's provision. We need to be trained up even before walls to trust that he will provide graciously. Every night when we put our girls to bed, we pray Compline, which is night prayer from the prayer book, just because we're a little weird. But these words 
these ancient words, hearing my, my children speak these words every night, that these words that acknowledge that walls are gonna come up in your life. And, and it's the Lord's provision that we look to. It's him and his grace that we look to. Be present, O merciful Father, through the silent hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of this fleeting world may repose upon thy eternal changelessness. See, Joshua doesn't look at the wall. He looks at the Lord's presence and he looks at the Lord's provision. But, but not only that, he doesn't just look at the Lord's presence and provision. Joshua ultimately looks at the Lord's power. See, chapter 6, verse 5, that, that description of how the wall comes down, right? He, he, the Lord says, when they make a loud blast with the ram's horn and you hear it, then you are to shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Now, let's just be clear what God is saying there. He is not suggesting that somehow the seismic activity of those trumpet horns and the yelling somehow manages to break down that wall. Their shouting and their trumpets have nothing to do with the wall coming down. They are worshiping God is taking the wall down. The Lord is saying, you focus on worship on that seventh day. I'm going to punch the wall down. You worship my power will be brought against that wall. It's my power to do it. I mean, it sounds just like Exodus chapter 14. Again, Joshua's predecessor, Moses, who said over Israel as they were leaving Egypt, the Lord will fight for you. You only need be silent. The Lord and his power will be brought to bear in this moment. You simply worship. And again, in Joshua's own story, chapter 1, verse 5, God tells him, no man shall be able to stand against you, Joshua, all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now, we need to be careful because though Joshua is growing in, in, in a real trust that the Lord's power is going to bring down this wall. When I was a new Christian, I really struggled. Coming out of atheism into Christianity, I really struggled with passages like this, stories like this. Not the miraculous nature of it, but I asked, okay, is what this story is saying that as long as I believe enough, the power of God will take down whatever wall's in front of me? You know, there's walls going to come, but they're all going to come down in Jesus' name. Is that what this text means? And there's people, unfortunately, that will tell new believers and people who are really hurting that exact thing. Thanks be to God, I first read a book. My second Christian book I ever read was a commentary on the Gospel of Mark by William Barclay. And this phrase just jumped off the page. William Barclay said this, and it solved the question. He said this, he said, Jesus promised his disciples three things. I said, all right. Is what Jesus promised his disciples. That they would be completely fearless, that they would be absurdly happy, and that they would be in constant trouble. And I said, yes, 
That's it, but I couldn't find that quote on any of the kitschy Christian t-shirts. I couldn't find a bracelet that had that constant trouble. But it's true. Because doesn't Jesus say in John 16, 33, these, these beautiful words which show the power of God and yet the reality of the struggle we have in this world. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says. But fear not, I have overcome the world. See, we need to read this Jericho story in the context of the rest of the Bible. The Bible that includes stories like the book of Job, a man who loses everything and yet can still say in the face of absolute loss, I believe that my Redeemer lives and I will see him stand on the earth. When my flesh has been torn away, I will see God. This is the picture of what we see in scripture. The story's not a promise that every wall will simply come down. Some walls take a while to come down, don't they? Some walls take some time. See, I'm not a very patient person naturally. I'm not very patient with walls coming down. Do you know the problem? Amazon is making me even more impatient. I order things and they come the same day. And then my children are at home saying, Daddy, why are you upset with Amazon? Because it's only been 24 hours. It's taking so long. Some walls take a while to come down. But some walls won't come down in this life. Some of the walls we face will never come down in this life. We will face things in this life that will not be solved the way we want them solved. This story, like all stories in the Old Testament, showing the power of God, is ultimately pointing to the fuller, greater story. You see, every time we read the Old Testament, we have to recognize that it is prefiguring and pushing forward to the greatest story ever told. All these battle stories in the Old Testament, you ever wonder what to do with them? This battle of Jericho story, do you know what it ultimately points to? This story of God's power on display in the, in the battle of Jericho, it points to the greatest battle ever fought on this earth, the battle at Skull Hill. This story at Jericho, the battle here of God's power, points to the power that we poured out at that battle on Calvary. When Jesus goes to the top of that mountain, bearing the sins of the world on that cross, and he stares down the greatest enemy, the greatest wall that humanity will ever face, sin, the, the devil, and death itself. And as he stares down that greatest of walls, the power of God is brought to bear. In that moment, Jesus, which by the way, Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name. Yeshua is directly translated Joshua. A new Joshua stands before this wall on Skull Hill and he overcomes it. And it is given to him and he tears it down. The ultimate wall with the ultimate power of God being brought to bear.
You see, what this story is not promising is that every single wall we face will come down, but what it's pointing to is the biggest wall that all these little walls are pointing to, the greatest fear, the greatest enemy, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, of this death and resurrection of the Son of God, death has been swallowed up in victory. The wall has come down. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. The power of God bringing down the greatest wall we will ever face. This is the promise of Jericho. I want to worship in the face of walls. It's about what I put my eyes on. Where do I set my focus? What am I looking at? Am I looking at the wall or am I looking at the Lord? Like Joshua, am I able to see the Lord's presence with us? Am I able to see the Lord's provision, this gracious provision at his hand? Am I able to see his power over the ultimate enemy, the ultimate wall? Many of you know the story I've told before about Sophie Jane, our second oldest daughter's miraculous healing. Um, she was sick for seven years chronically sick in and out of children's hospitals, hundreds of hospital visits. And in 2013, I was in Nairobi, Kenya at the GAFCON meeting, the big global Anglican futures gathering. This was five years ago. And I got the text while I was there that I, I never wanted to get while I was away. And it was from Monica saying, she's sick, we're taking her into the hospital. I'm like, I'm in Africa. It's going to take me two days to get home. And I I'm, I'm, get this text in the middle of a worship service because we're hours ahead. And I'm sitting there looking at this text and I look at my, one of my closest friends, Jess Cantillon, who, by the way, we are starting to plant a Hebrew-speaking congregation in Jerusalem with, but there's more on that later. Jess Cantillon standing next to me. And I show him the text. And he goes, oh got to pray. And we, we pray. We're in this room, 1,300 Anglicans from around the world. And, and, and some of these are many of these Nigerian bishops who are wearing purple cassocks. And they are dancing to the music in this worship service like no white priest could ever dance. <laughs> and we're in the middle of this worship service and we're praying earnestly. And I'm making plans to get home. And a couple hours later, I get a text from Monica that I could never have expected. And just two words, she's healed. And I said, what do you mean? I mean, she's never not gone into the hospital. She starts getting sick, she ends up in the hospital. And so I said, what do you mean? And she said, she, she says she's healed. These are out of her, her own mouth. She's saying, it. I'm healed. I said, okay, and I, and I waited out the rest of the conference. And she never got sick again. Five years. She's 14 this summer. She's never been sick again. We learned so much from that miracle. But here's my point. We learned so much more from the seven years before that miracle. See, it's not about the miracle. 
Why does one child get healed and another child doesn't? I don't know. I trust God somehow to know the answer to that. But here's what I know. In those seven years praying for a sick child, we learned more in the face of those walls how to worship. Because there is nothing like a parent standing over a hospital bed praying that, Lord, if you take her, would you raise her on the last day? That is the power that is promised at Jericho. The power over death. How do we worship before walls? It's where we look. Do we see the Lord's presence? Are we looking at the Lord's gracious provision? And are we beholding his power? The greatest power. The power over sin and death. Let us open our eyes and let us worship before our walls. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.